open up your books, you bad apples. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bad Apple Movie Club. Um, this week, after uh, high demand from the fans, we will finally be discussing Harry and the Henderson, starring John Lithgow. Now, Cole, did you maybe want to give us a, a rundown on the story behind the movie Harry and the Hendersons? And maybe, uh, I mean, maybe just some quick thoughts on the movie while we're at it. Uh, written, produced, directed by, acted by John Lithgow himself. Uh, it was his baby. Uh, he, played, he played the Bigfoot and himself in the movie. <laughs> um, I watched it partially and then i was asleep for most of it uh, yep. uh we both tried to watch the movie and i think we had about the same experience where it was kind of late and we both fired it up and i'm like oh okay i'm 10 minutes into this movie and then i woke up and checked the timer and there was five minutes and then i could like hear you snoring on the other side of the conversation <laughs> or something and then and then with five minutes left i finally hear like a oh oh man yep i just i just fell asleep i'm like yeah me too dude i um, i stay up for like the last 10 minutes and i'm very surprised i caught the last 10 minutes yeah i think that was all you needed to, i think that was all you needed to see though was the last 10 minutes um life-changing if you've been listening to this this whole time and you really thought this was a movie review podcast what are you doing this is the bad apple book club i'm lucas nord and i'm cole lang and today we're not talking about the 20 minutes of a, a 20 minutes in total that we both saw of the bigfoot movie we're talking about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, part two and three, technically part three of the series. Yep, yep, yep. Um, this is actually, the title thing that we've been going through has always kind of been my worst nightmare ever since we got serious thinking about the podcast because so far everything's worked out so well. Crime and Punishment, six parts uh, in the book and six parts for us to record, but one floor of the cuckoo's nest just had to be so weird making, you know, 60% of it uh, part one, quote unquote. That's what you get when you get a book written by a counterculture icon. Um, down with the system. Yeah, down with the system. I'm going to make part one actually half of the book and the rest is going to be crammed in there. But yeah. Classic Keezy. Yeah, classic dude. But yeah, part two and three, there's a lot of fun stuff going on here. Most notably, probably the fishing trip uh, that you might be familiar with in the movie. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what we're going to cover today. But I suppose before we get to that, maybe you wanted to give us a bit of a recap on part one, part two, as I'll, I'll lovingly call it. Yeah, so the end of part one... It ended with McMurphy and his rebellion, his all of the other patients staring at the TV screen because they all wanted to watch the World Series. And Nurse Ratched, you know, that's that's too much freedom. So she she did not allow this, and, but they all did it. 
um, and it's just a, is a silent f u to Nurse Ratched. Yep, uh, that was the wonderful part about that. Is even though McMurphy still didn't get his way watching the game, um, just uh, him still sitting in front of the tube after Ratched cut it off just shows that maybe it wasn't even so much about the game in the first place as toppling the the regime you know what i mean <laughs> okay that's or one something. thing i did want to say is um i i called it regime <laughs> and yeah, uh i don't know i like when it comes to like some words i'm really good with but when it comes to those middle or intermediate difficult words like I guess it's it's a French word, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I was just trying to put too much pizzazz on it, but I added it out in the second part, but in the first part, I'm pretty sure it's in there a couple times. Oh, it's in there. <laughs> and I know it because I listened to it, and I was like, what is a resume? A resume? Like it's, yeah, resume or... Um, isn't isn't a resume like a word for like some kind of schedule or something? What's that word I'm thinking? Of? <laughs> um, Either way, it's definitely not resume. I don't know. I mean, that's not the word I'm thinking of. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a um, I don't know a, a terrible brand of pasta sauce, like ragu or something. <laughs> Ooh, are you telling me? Are you telling me you aren't walking out of the Walmart happy with? 30 cans of resume for, you know, four bucks. <laughs> it's a steal. <laughs> mm. uh, man, just so sure. processed. Mm. Yeah, it's got little chunks of what's it in there, but hey, you just got to pick around those. That or just don't be so picky in the first place, yeah. gall darn it. <laughs> or just pronounce um, it right. Sure. Um, so, yeah, like, uh, like I was saying, I think it's really... I think it's really neat that McMurphy just uh, still kind of stands up for the little guy, even though, even at this point in the book, we know that he he's kind of chummy with the guys, and they all like him, but he's mm-hmm. still looking out for number one, you know? Yeah, yep, and we'll see how his attitude kind of changes um, as his rebellions you know he he finds out some hard truths in this one but we'll see if that stops him or not yeah in part one besides besides the silent rebellion they had it was just basically mcmurphy slowly amplifying his attacks on nurse ratchet he's just working his way working his way uh up to getting that what was it June bug upper butter, whatever he says. Yeah, yeah, that June bug upper butt. Without further ado, Cole, would you mind whisking us away into One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest Land with part two and three? Yes. Yep, so we'll start off with part Thank two. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome, Lucas. Uh, sit tight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so part two begins where one left off with the patient staring at the TV. So like no gaps and nurse ratchet. She's just being observed by everyone because everyone's like, Oh God, like what's she going to do? 
if you don't move, it can't see you. Yeah. <laughs> She's behind her glass, her uh, safety net. <laughs> yep. But we'll see. It's not so safe. Yeah, so Chief says that the fog has been cleared. Like, he's like, oh, thank God. It's it's done. It's done. Um, and then one of the aides tries to trick Chief by telling him he has to do chores. And... Uh, chief he he plays it off until he is tugged up and led to the staff room which he describes as poisonous and um if you'll remember there's been some hints to or chief has been kind of you know letting it out that he isn't deaf and dumb as much as everyone thinks so this aide was trying to get him to react to his voice when chief is in the staff room Nurse Ratched and all of her cohorts are saying nasty things about the patients. And this time, he notices that Nurse is looking at him a little bit differently because, you know, he, he took part in the rebellion. And as she lets him into the staff room, he goes straight to the corner with his sponge as if he feels Nurse Ratched like, staring at him the whole time. If I if I may interject here real quick, one of the interesting things about uh, Chief thinking that she's on to his game now is because when they were doing the vote, uh, after 20 of the 40 patients, I think it was, put their hands up, McMurphy was going around and uh, it was actually something that I didn't really understand because Chief didn't need to hear McMurphy to like see him raise his hand or something like that, but... Uh, Chief did raise his hand to kind of give the old nurse the finger, and now uh, she's going to be burning holes in the back of his head with those laser eyes. Yeah, I thought this part was kind of funny just because, you know, it's going to be, there's going to be lots of words said in that room. And then uh, you got this scary nurse just like staring at you, and Chief's like, oh God, oh God. And he's like, just like, wobbling towards the corner and he goes straight to the corner so he doesn't have to look at anything he just goes to town with the sponge smart man yes very dr spivey he attempts to start the meeting and he assumes that nurse ratchet has brought them together to like discuss what should be done to mcmurphy so like nurse ratchet she's just remaining silent like like she does with the patients and it causes the staff to like strike fear about McMurphy and like each comment gets worse and worse after the other. So they're like, we have to send him to the disturbed ward. Well, that's not yeah. enough. We got to give him a lobotomy. You know, they might have not went that far, but like it's the same exact thing with the patients where she enjoys seeing how far they will go just from her sitting there being silent and just them assuming what, her opinions are yep complete utter silence and uh they think that you know oh well we just keep bumping it up and then she'll finally say something and cut this awful tension out of the room like should we throw mcmurphy in front of a train is that what you want <laughs> and then she just sits there she's still got that white paint enamel face just Mm, 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 that's not what I want. Uh, I don't want him. I don't want him to get a lobotomy. I don't want him to get electroshock therapy. We're gonna keep him right uh, in my ward, right where I can yep. control him. Yeah, that is so crazy. 
because, I mean, we already know that she's very manipulative and conniving, but um, she's getting these other doctors worked up because they're like, oh, yeah, of course, of course we should send him to Disturbed. I mean, he sat in front of a blank TV. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's just, uh, I mean, she knows what she's doing, and it's very, very scary, I think. And uh, speaking of which, I didn't watch any of that Netflix show, but I guess I've, I think I've heard good things about it, maybe. I mean, once again, I'm not going to bother, but. I, okay, so I've seen the two first two episodes, and I it was okay, uh, but the, the reviews just came in hot off the hot off the press. My mom said, Uh-oh. my mom said that this show is good. She just texted me and she yes. said, Cole, Nurse Ratched, you gotta watch it. And uh, so it has my mom's seal of approval, and that that should be enough. <laughs> yeah, I might have to watch it now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's uh, very interesting how she can control the room. And um, so they, they finally, just not even involving Nurse Ratched, they finally conclude that McMurphy needs to be put in the disturbed ward. They, they start jumping up and down, and then they, they think that this is what Nurse Ratched was eventually going to get to. But then mm-hmm. she comes out after being silent and she denies this and reminds them that they're dealing with just an ordinary man. And she doesn't want to pass him on to another ward. She doesn't want to be like, oh, I can't fix this problem. You guys go fix this. You know, she wants to handle this her herself because she is a control freak. Yep. Uh, maybe even feel she has something to prove to herself because this she's never... Uh, She's never, you know, met a uh, horse she couldn't break before or whatever, maybe. She's Even never met a bull goose, goose loony she couldn't break. She never, yeah, she never <laughs> met the bull goose loony before. Yeah. But it also doesn't seem like many, uh, many of the other people in the book are so rowdy. No, nope. Uh, McMurphy, a bit of a trendsetter, you could say. I suppose. Yep. She she plans on dealing with him because ultimately she controls his sentence. And I believe this is it's been hinted at, but this is this whole idea of her controlling her or his sentence really comes into play in this. And at this point, McMurphy does not know this. And and that's what I thought was so cool about part one when uh harding was like don't worry my friend you're gonna be here for a very long time that was some cool foreshadowing Hmm. yeah because uh well i suppose we'll get into it but not everyone is uh locked up in the ward against their own free will like old old rp they might be um full willing volunteers yeah yep maybe <laughs> maybe well, we'll find out. Stay tuned. Um, <laughs> so Nurse Ratched, she feels really confident in her ability to control McMurphy, but he keeps on testing her after this whole incident goes down. For instance, he is given latrine duty. and That, that was my duty in basic training. I had to clean the shower. Um, and... It, 
well, not the shower, but the bathroom. That's what they call the latrine. Um, but yeah, it always made me so mad because you couldn't have any hairs or anything on the tile, the shower walls. And then once I was done cleaning, some guys would go in there to manscape and there would be <laughs> pube hairs all over the tile uh. in the morning. So guess who got yelled at in the morning when there was a lot of pube hairs just like all over the tile? I did. Was it you? <laughs> yes. And I haven't recovered uh. from it. Still still dealing with that trauma. <laughs> the pube hairs haunt me every every night, Lucas. It is every truly night. terrible. Uh, yeah, just a big old hairy monster. Uh, <sighs> <laughs> and that's why I fell asleep during uh, Harry and the Hendersons. I was so scared of yeah. that hairy man. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't fall asleep. Your brain went into shock. <laughs> Yeah, it's like just go to sleep, Cole. You don't want to see yep. it. Uh, you don't want to see it, Cole. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so McMurphy, he's doing latrine duty, and so when he's doing this, he's not taking it seriously. He takes the toilet brush, cleans it really fast, maybe for like three seconds, and uh, it, he justifies this by saying. Quote, they're for pissing in, not eating out of, uh, which, you know, he's not wrong. <laughs> I was just going to say. Yeah. And he also puts obscene notes written backwards on the back of the toilets because Nurse Ratched, she goes around these toilets with her mirror. And, um, of course, like once she reads it, it's going to be not backwards anymore, but, and, yeah, it says a bunch of bad things whenever she reads it. And she's like, oh, God, you know. But I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, that's just a that's a good, clean humor. Like, seriously, Ratchet, cool, cool your jets a little bit there, brah. That's just like the good old clean humor McMurphy can do sometimes. Not this yeah. scandalous, man. Yep. Like when he dropped his towel and he had his uh, whale boxers on under him. Yeah, that's just fun. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's just fun. Uh, wouldn't do it today, but, you know, it's just it's just McMurphy. Yeah. McMurphy, he continues to jest with the ward. Like, he's, he's mo- making jokes and, like, this is really lifting the spirits of a lot of these patients, which, you know, they've been being down for so long. And Chief, he really can't believe the ward hasn't broken McMurphy. And he's lying in bed and notices the fog being cleared. So he decides to get up and try to look out the window. And when he's doing this, he's very scared. Like he's looking for aids, coming back to like strap him down. He sees a dog that is an outsider and it's out of place place until it sees this flock of geese and it blindly follows them. This leads it to the road where a car is coming. But before Chief can see what happens to the dog that's following these geese, he is pulled back into bed by the aides. And I didn't really know what to think of uh, when this uh, scene went down, but basically... My interpretation is that the flock of geese is kind of like the leader is McMurphy. And obviously the fate of that dog is it's probably dead. Like it probably got hit by the car 
and they're just kind of blindly following it without the consequences. And that's kind of what's happening with McMurphy and his rebellion. Like we, we, we haven't seen the full extent of what will happen yet. Some type of a, like a metaphor or something like that by the sounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. We can go with metaphor. I, I'm positive there's another term for it, but I'm, I'm pretty foreshadowing. sure. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. There we go. Um, I really need to brush up on like my 10th grade English stuff like foreshadowing motifs, dramatic irony. <laughs> yeah. How to pronounce words. I can spell words just fine. Uh, spelling bee champ, third grade. Um, so, spelling bee champ in third grade, you say? Yeah, yep. Do you actually remember that? Yeah, I made it to the finals and then I had to spell sombrero and <laughs> I, I still don't know how to spell it. Sombrero. S-O-M-B-R-E-R-O. Sombrero. And for our listeners out there, he Maybe. just Googled it. Maybe. No, I didn't. <laughs> I know how to spell things. I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> Did you seriously have to spell the word sombrero? Yeah, and that's when I lost. Oh. <sighs> and now you can't even look at a sombrero the same way. <laughs> sombrero and, you know, Bigfoot. Uh, yeah, just... One and the same. Lots of PTSD, man. It's terrible. But yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, so yeah we're in the next day and the patients become more vocal about their gripes with the hospital and the most prominent one is cheswick yeah and and so cheswick he's also the only one that voted uh initially for mcmurphy's world series game the first vote they had um, so he's really looking up to McMurphy as this idol during this time. So McMurphy, he in- keeps on encouraging Cheswick and he's, he's feeling pretty good about his battle until a few days later. And we'll, we'll find out why while they're swimming at the pool, McMurphy starts talking to the lifeguard and McMurphy starts to brag about how much better the ward is compared to the work fields he was in prior. So the lifeguard isn't so sure about this because we find out that he knows that some patients are held there until they're considered cured and some are there voluntarily. So at this point, McMurphy is... He doesn't really know what he is, so he, he stops splashing around and realizes that he is no longer serving the rest of his six-month sentence in the ward, which is what he had on the work farm. He only had six months left, so he thought he was going to have a six-month uh, vacation in the ward, but he through this lifeguard, he now knows that he is at the mercy of Nurse Ratched. Um, since she determines when he will be released. And if that doesn't get you to start singing a different tune, buddy, I don't know what will. Oh, I mean, we see it instantly. Yep, so... Oh, I can just imagine, you know, being in the same room as this fictional character and literally seeing all the color drain out of his face after you tell him. Yeah, yep, this would be... 
this would hit pretty hard. <laughs> so wait, you're telling me that the lady I've been trying to drive crazy gets to decide when I go home? That, now that's crazy. <laughs> well, well I, everyone, aren't we kind of overreacting about Nurse Ratchet? I mean, she doesn't seem so bad. Uh, I love Nurse Ratchet. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> she's she's the, great. Yeah, she's the best. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. So uh, the, the next morning, McMurphy, whole new man. Well, he, he's changed his whole, whole attitude and he gets up super early he cleans the toilets really well, which isn't what he was doing before, and does what the staff tells him to. Usually he, you know, talks back. And he this surprises everyone except Nurse Ratched because she's like, oh, he found out a little fact about me yesterday, you know? Um, she didn't even have to tell him. No. Nope, exactly. The patients are thinking that he has like a master plan, that this is the fool nurse ratchet. And so during the group meeting, Cheswick, once again, the man who loves McMurphy's rebellion, he's like, you know, all out for him, you know, McMurphy 2020. And right. he demands that something be done, should be done about the cigarette policy uh, because they're rationed out. They can only get so much. And he asks McMurphy to back him up. And McMurphy just doesn't say anything. Just totally ignores him. So Cheswick, he stands up and says, quote, I want something done. I ain't no little kid, quote, end quote. And he stomps and looks at McMurphy, who ignores him. And I remember... Keezy explaining that during this scene, even though he says, I ain't no little kid, he looked exactly like a little child throwing a temper tantrum at this point. I I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. His hero is like, you know, absent during his... Uh, yeah, McMurphy. I mean, it's looking like uh, he's finally been beat. Yeah. It's like, um, it's like if Batman... You're fighting along Batman and you're Robin. And one day Batman is like in the middle of a fight and he's just like, I'm done here. Like I have, I got to go. Uh, I got to be up early in the morning. I got a few meetings to attend to. And now that's just, a metaphor. Yeah. Like this is his boy. And to see Batman in that condition would be terrible. And I really hope the new Robert Pattinson film doesn't do that. It looks like it, it, he's playing into all of his anger and we're going to see a different side of the Batman, but we're not going to, I don't think I ever want to see a Batman that steps down from the fight, I guess. Like, Oh to, yeah, no, that wouldn't be very good. No, it just like looks at the Riddler's riddles and is like, Oh, this shit's too hard. And like, just doesn't yeah, put you know up what? with them. I'm going home. Yeah. I'm going to my bat home. Can I just fight the Joker again? Like, uh, cause the Riddler is right, smart. Please. Like he's a modern, well, he's basically like the Zodiac killer. Like, you know, he's very, very interesting. Edward Nigma. Yeah, such a cool name. He, he's. <laughs> I can't wait fun. for that movie. Oh, I know I mentioned it. Okay, wait. While we're talking about this, is the Riddler going to be the bad guy? Yes, and he looks like he's going to be like a Zodiac kind of killer. Who plays? 
Um, I can't remember. I don't. I don't even think they reveal his face in the trailer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know. But I'm. I'm cool. excited. Um, Robert Pattinson. He hasn't let me down yet. Oh man! Hey, the lighthouse. <laughs> now there's a movie for you. Yeah, yeah. Don't go uh, messing with the seagulls. Hark! Hark. <laughs> watch that movie with subtitles if you are gonna watch it. It makes it so much uh, better to digest. Uh, it's incredible. Yeah, it really is. But yeah, so Cheswick, he's throwing this fit. McMurphy, he's ignoring him, and he complains one more time. And the aides take him up to the disturbed ward. And nobody says anything else. And Chief says that the power of the combine was just like starting to flicker and it was like sparking up again. So, Chief, he explains that he understands why McMurphy is doing this. It's honestly the safest thing to do. Um, and he explains that it's the same thing his father did when the pressure of the whole town was forcing him to leave the land he lived on so a dam could be built. Uh, and his father was this big, strong figure like Chief, and eventually the pressure of the Combine slash society eventually gave in to him, and he did give up his land. And the other patients are disappointed in mcmurphy but they really do understand because they're like yeah you're going up against nurse ratchet like the thanos of uh mental asylums and i wonder how i wonder how mcmurphy feels knowing that all these guys have you know known that he's been kind of dealt a crap hand ever since he walked through the door even if he didn't know it yeah um We'll get into his thoughts here soon, but yeah, he does feel kind of betrayed. Makes sense. Yeah, totally understandable. Like, I I get both sides on this. They were fine with him going down with the ship. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, my lord and savior. And, and that will actually come into play here soon, too. Ooh. I don't know if you caught that, but I can't wait to dig into that. But um, so uh, Cheswick, he also understands, but he's the most disappointed in this. As they go down to the pool, Cheswick mutters that, you know, he, he wished something would have been done during that meeting. So he's just at the pool. He mutters, man, I wish something was done. And then he dives in. And purposely gets his finger caught in the pool drain, which is almost impossible to get out of, and drowns himself. Not even the strength of McMurphy and the two aides could save him. So, yikes. Just the inaction McMurphy had was enough to kill this man's spirit and himself. Yeah. Make him lose all hope. Yeah, really, really disturbing scene. But yeah, it just shows how much like McMurphy's not not necessarily failure to action, but like just not acting has impacted the spirit of these guys. And especially, you know, it's one thing when 
just some other dude comes to join the ward, but when this guy is making such a splash and it just seems like he's relentless, what's going to slow him down, you know? He he doesn't take crap from anybody to uh, have such a strong first impression and to see it get, you know, withered away with one one small statement really would probably do something to your morale too, I would think. Well, yeah, like McMurphy was this big booming voice and for him to be silenced is just really, really changing um, a huge transition. So, yeah, in the lunchroom, the patient, Seffolt, has an epileptic seizure and during this, he hits his head on the floor and Miss Ratchet appears on the scene and starts saying, and I thought this was so disgusting, but she says, quote, and he said he didn't need his medication, end quote. And this dude's like hurting, obviously, and she's just like mocking him for not taking his meds. Her her cruelty knows no bounds. Honestly, like, and she keeps repeating this and it's just like, just shut up, like. So one of the patients uh, named Fredrickson has been taking this guy's medication and he starts to shout at Nurse Ratched for blaming this on Seffold himself. McMurphy, he's never seen anything like this before. He's never seen a seizure or anything. And he's pretty horrified by this and asks about the drug that is prescribed to the man on the floor to which Fredrickson responds, and this is the guy that's been taking his medication, the epileptic man, and he says that it is an anticonvulsant, and he reveals the side effects by exposing his gums. And I've never seen pictures of this before, but the medicine makes your gums really inflamed and bloated. So it looks like you just have like little like razors for teeth really and it's crazy yeah this this was something i actually specifically learned through personal life means where someone that i know that uh, has to take medication had to get a lot of dental work done and i never actually knew that those two things kind of went hand in hand where some of those medications rot you from the inside out just yeah just a crazy side effect like it's just Yep. I, I had no like, idea. You either have seizures or like super gingivitis. Yep, exactly. And yeah, that's just kind of how this patient kind of viewed it. Uh, he, he was like, you know, you just got to choose one and you chose not to. And of course, Nurse Ratchet is just like, this is what you get. And it's really disturbing. So meanwhile... One of the aides, he yanks two teeth from the man on the floor that just hit his head. And Chief explains that the machine is being healed by Nurse Ratched. So, like, he's he's seeing all this going down, and she he's seeing Nurse Ratched just, like, taking the wrench to the machine and, like, fixing it back up, getting it back to full power. Fixing all the damage McMurphy did. <sighs> Yeah, yep. Uh, damage control. Yep, exactly. Yep. Oh, but so the next day, Harding's wife shows up for a visit. And we've heard a lot about his wife. And 
just kind of the awkward uh, relationship they had or have. And so everyone's watching this. And Harding tells McMurphy to come on over so he can introduce him to his, quote, counterpart and nemesis, which is a pretty crazy way to describe your spouse. Yeah, that's pretty weird. (laughs) Yeah. And so McMurphy says, quote, Afternoon, Miss Harding. Ms. Harding. And she replies, saying she hates being called that. And she wants to be addressed as Vera. So even the even being associated with her husband, she hates that. And we this is the first thing that she says. So Harding, he starts to tell stories about McMurphy. And while he's doing this, he's waving his beautiful hands up in the air like doves. I think he described it as. Yes. And Chief says that they're like two beautiful <laughs> doves. Floating through the air without a care in the world. Just delicate and like beautiful to lay your eyes upon. And And then when Harding sees that people are staring at his hands, he puts them in between his legs. Yeah. Yep. So he put, he's like, oh crap. And puts his, uh, yep, his hands between his legs and he just starts laughing. And his wife asks, quote, when are you going to get rid of that mousy little squeak? End quote. And she then asks for a cigarette and Harding has none, to which she replies, quote, Oh, Dale, you never have enough, do you? End quote. Yikes. So Whoa. Uh, you can always Kinda see. Swinging out the gate here. Yeah, like or... she, she's had no... Um, positive things to bring to the conversation um but he also apparently doesn't have much to offer her uh you know metaphorically and literally uh, wink wink by the sounds of it yep wink 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 yep yep and so the only way harding can come back from these emasculating insults is by saying that her grammar is atrocious and if anybody can judge your grammar it's harding my friend yes my friend yep um he in in the book like we haven't done much quotes from harding but when he talks it's very just like his hands it's like doves flying in the air and he has he has a way with words you could say (laughs) Yep. Yeah. He seems to be a bit of a college educated man compared to the rest of the guys he, uh, in the old block. He very much is. Yep. So she also complains about Harding's friends that keep stopping by. And she she's just like, they remind me of you and it disgusts me and just like stuff like that. And she calls them like frail. All of them are frail like Harding. She also implies that she has a few suitors. And when she's done dropping this bomb, she leaves abruptly, (laughs) (laughs) causing everyone to turn their heads as they as she leaves. So, like, they're like, what? Uh, Yep. So and then in the background, Harding's just sitting there and he's like, you know, kicking his feet. And then he's like, 
McMurphy, what, what do you think of her? A heck of a girl, huh? And then, and then McMurphy replies that, quote, her kebabs are as big as nurse ratchets. Whoa. Yep, and that's pretty much all he had to say. And then so Harding asks again, and McMurphy erupts. And he says that he isn't a marriage counselor, and he says that he doesn't feel sorry for him and says that his own problem, he has his own problems to deal with. Um, He's not wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, he just had a huge bomb dropped on him earlier. And when he says this, when he says that he has his own problems to deal with, he's not just talking to Harding, he's talking to the whole room. Yeah, and McMurphy, he eventually does apologize to Harding and admits that he has been having some bad dreams and these dreams he just recalls that he's been seeing lots of faces not sure how it ties into the story but just kind of interesting right and so later on martini he's acting like he's a pilot and so he's like and he's making a bunch of noises and he's like gunning some stuff and he soon comes up to McMurphy and he's like, McMurphy, McMurphy, you seeing what I'm seeing? And then McMurphy, he gets very angry saying he doesn't see it. And Martini says, quote, uh, just kidding. And McMurphy, he replies by saying, now, Martini, I don't like that kind of kidding. And he starts to shuffle, but he drops his entire hand of cards on the floor. Um, so Martini, you know, it's just that that's one of the guys he was always good with. You'd play along with, but now he is pretty frustrated by his presence and he doesn't have patience for the kind of childish ways Martini, um, expresses himself. Uh, so another transition that McMurphy is taking here. Yeah. He thought that this, uh, whole thing was a pretty sweet deal right off the bat, but now that he doesn't get to leave at a designated time or choose when he leaves, it doesn't sound so sweet. That orange juice just ain't tasting the same. Too much pulp, a little bit sour, and Ugh. you probably brushed your teeth right before it, and it tastes bad. Ooh. Yeah, yeah brushed your teeth with soap powder. Soap powder, yep. Even worse. But yeah, exactly, like... Yeah, it's just a big downer for McMurphy. There's no other way to no other way to put it. And so, yeah. And the patients, sometime later, they're taken to get X-rays for tuberculosis. And nearby is the shock shop, and this is where the electroshock therapy goes down. And McMurphy is pretty curious, and he starts to ask about it. So Harding explains that electroshock therapy came from some doctors who noticed that uh, when cattle were hit with a blow to the head with a sledgehammer, they became really calm after the hit. He said they applied this to humans, and instead of taking a sledgehammer and hitting them in the head, they did this with electricity to get that same effect, that same shock shock effect to make uh, somebody calm after that initial shock. So the origins of this uh, is actually pretty accurate, except for when cattle, the, the cattle were not 
hit with sledgehammers. They use electricity initially, and then they transition to humans for electroshock therapy, which was huh. uh, pretty crazy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so McMurphy, he asks why there hasn't been an uproar about this because he thinks it's pretty barbaric. And Harding says, quote, in this country, when something is out of order, the quickest way to get it fixed is the best way, end quote. Too telling. Yep. Yep. Uh, just send, send them to the shock shop. Send them to Nurse Ratched. Uh, she'll, she'll make them a, a, good, a good person. Good person oh. for the U.S. of A. And so he says that these techniques are fading like lobotomies, but despite this, Nurse Ratched will use them if needed. She's not above anything. No, she she'll resort to what she thinks is uh, applicable, even if it is very disturbing. So the patients they ask if they think Mc- Nurse Ratched is the problem of the ward, like if she's the main source of the problem, and think he thinks that she is the symptom of a bigger problem of society and so like this is the whole combine theory that chief has been working in his head and like right. in the background he's just sitting in the corner like shaking his like head he's like yes 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 somebody backs my theory thank you thank you <laughs> uh so he's like finally somebody understands what i'm saying when it comes to the combine even though it's all in his head and mcmurphy He's pretty disappointed that they didn't tell him he was committed. So once again, going back to him learning this and nobody telling him and Harding surprises him by saying that McMurphy and only a few chronics are committed. So that means that they are there solely until Nurse Ratched lets them be, lets them go back to society. He finds out that most Almost everybody are volunteers and like that they're volunteering to stay at the asylum because they think that society won't accept them. McMurphy, he, he just, he starts yelling. He can't believe this. And he goes up to Billy and he's like, Billy, you're not committed, really? And then Billy responds by saying, he wants to have a convertible and a girlfriend, but he's not as strong as McMurphy. So it was kind of messed up for him to go up to Billy and these other patients and like, really, you're not like, you know, doing your full sentence here. Right. So, yeah. And then McMurphy, he finally calms down and then he, he's just he just says that his mind isn't right. So on the way back to the ward, McMurphy buys three cartons of cigarettes and <laughs> when they're walking back, um, I, I think they're coming back from the pool. Chief is like walking behind him and he's like, oh, it's okay, McMurphy. It's all right, buddy. And he's just like saying all this in his head. After the group meeting, Nurse Ratched brings up that the group has to be punished for the rebellion three weeks earlier. And she says that it really threw off the cleaning schedule. But... Yeah, the only reason she was sitting on this, I would imagine, is because a member of their ward committed suicide. 
Yeah, like that that's the only reason she waited. Otherwise, I feel like she would have punished them earlier. Right. And so she's pretty disappointed that none of them apologized on their own, which is just like you want them like she thinks she has them so like trained up that they're going to like come up there and be like, "Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Ratchet." Like that that was my fault back there for watching that blank TV screen. Uh and and, and she says that the dis- disciplinary action must be taken for their own good. Uh and she's going to take away the second game room. Oh man. <sighs> yep, so if you can't recall, this is what McMurphy really pushed for because in the main board, the music was too loud and he just wanted a separate room to play cards in uh, with the other cutes. And yeah, she's like, the only thing you fought for and succeeded in is being taken away. And so she concludes the meeting and McMurphy is smiling and... Chief can see that he's back. He, little hints of him is back. And as he walks, he's looking like a big logger man, like this big man that he always describes. And he says that he's also a cowboy from the TV shows, like a Clint Eastwood figure. Sure. Yeah. Yep. And so he's walking to the nurse's station where Ratched, she's just sitting in disbelief. She's just like, I thought I defeated you. <laughs> and then he, <laughs> she sees this big McMurphy coming up towards her. And she has no idea what he's going to do. But he's got that big smile on his face. He's He's got swag behind him. And he pauses in front of the window saying he could use some cigarettes he bought this morning. Because remember, they're rationed from Nurse Ratched behind this window. He smashes his hand through the window he grabs a pack and says, quote, I'm sure sorry, ma'am, but that window glass was so spick and span, I completely forgot it was there. Bump, bump, bump. Yes. Or something. He's back. Yep. Yep. The Dark Knight Rises. Um, Apparently. <laughs> with a newfound <laughs> hatred for old Nurse Ratchet or yeah. something. It's like the end of the Dark Knight where it's like you either live long enough to see yourself become part of Nurse Ratchet's regime, got it right this time, or you die the uh, savior of the ward. Yeah, <laughs> that works. That works. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yep. Uh, that was a direct quote from the 2008 Christopher Nolan film, The Dark Knight. Um, Incredible. But yeah, so that ends part two. We're going to dive into part three since we do have, uh, since it is shorter. But yeah, so part two was pretty interesting. We see a totally different McMurphy. And this this transition to him punching the glass was like it was pretty sweet like it was just it was up there with um sitting and watching the world series game with the right. tv um and uh it was a bit of an emotional roller coaster on the mcmurphy side of things too because we see him get all the wind sucked out of his sails and you know when the one guy who seemed like he could ever change anything in any of these guys lives when he gets 
ripped back down to earth with that reality check that he was given by that patient. Um, you know, like I was saying, that would probably suck the wind out of everyone else's sails too. But now that he's coming back, he's he's uh, refitting his place as the Bull Goose Looney. Yep, yep. And, it's like, and he's starting by smashing glass. And that probably just had to scare the crap out of Nurse Ratched. Like, I believe it. She's probably, probably scare the crap out of me. Oh, anybody probably, but like, um. Yeah, she's robotic this whole time, but that probably got genuine fear struck in her. But yeah, I just want to cue ACDC, Back in Black. Uh, eh, yep, he's, he's back. I, I wanted to sing a little part of it, but I don't know that song well enough <laughs> to embarrass myself doing it. You can just do the guitar riff, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> if you even know that. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not that advanced yet big acdc guy um yes sir acdc acdc did the soundtrack for the uh stephen king directed maximum overdrive starring um emilio estevez i think it's the only movie stephen king ever directed and i heard it's he, bad <laughs> Yeah, it's awful. Uh, he can't remember directing it because he was... Uh, in his bender. He was on so much of that cocaina back in those days. Yeah, that's when he wrote a lot of his uh, most known... Well, I wouldn't say most known, but it it was written during that time. Um, he also says he doesn't remember, uh, remember writing Cujo. Cujo, yep. But then uh, shortly after that, he did get some help so thankfully he did because i love stephen king yeah the shining's great yeah it's all great i just got two books uh from him uh misery and carrie so very nice i can't wait so many so many classic titles from one man big weird head so yeah part three the old mcmurphy's back and this time he wants to start a basketball team. Uh, <laughs> and so he gets Dr. Spivey on board and he starts coaching the patients. Uh, and instead of like going outside or anything, he's in the ward and he's having them run up and down the ward uh, with their basketballs. They're dribbling or trying to dribble. And he's yelling, quote, drive, you puny mothers, drive. And he's just blowing the whistle. <laughs> And uh, during a, a meeting, so he's like back and he's like just like spouting all these ideas and like just once again creating chaos. And, and during a meeting, he asks if he can spend time with Candy Star, which is one of his lady friends. And outside of the ward, well, he's asking to be like outside of the ward, like on leave, basically accompanied leave and he's denied so once he's denied of this he's pretty upset and he once again gets up and there was a new window placed in the nurse's station and he smashes uh -oh. it and he says quote when did they sneak that dangered glass in there uh as his hand is just dripping with blood and he grabs his cigarette. i was just gonna say yeah. It's probably safe to assume that uh, 
his gnarled hands are even more gnarleder than they were before. I'm sure those initial cuts weren't even healed yet. Like, yeah. Oh man, cutting oh. through two panes of glass. Oh man. But you know, if you thought the first time was unexpected, how do you think she felt that second one? Uh, she's like again. I just got this glass replaced, Mister Bullgoose Looney. Mister. Mr. McMurphy, come on, that was a nice window. It was so clean. You cleaned it so well. Um, but yeah, he also... But it was a nice window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I think the first one he had to clean, and it actually was, like, really clear. So he is like, oh, they used Windex on that baby. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so after this... They're playing a game of basketball versus the AIDS. And <laughs> uh, Mar- when the balls pass to Martini, he starts throwing it to <laughs> invisible people. So he start- he sees like Larry Bird in the corner. He's like, oh, Larry. <laughs> and like, there's nobody there. <laughs> Half court. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, trick shot. Uh. Oh gosh! Oh, but yeah, I, I just anything that has Martini once again, like the little details <laughs> they do with them is just so funny. Uh, comedic yeah, pretty, relief, I remember that nice. one. Yep. Yes, very good. <laughs> uh, so, um, and also during this time, McMurphy is like, you know, he's flexing and he elbows one of the aides in the nose. Um, and he's bleeding and the aide is just like, oh, I'm going to get you. And like, he kind of starts, he's, he's out to get McMurphy now because this was on purpose. The window gets replaced again. And when they're having practice in the ward, one of the patients named Scanlon accidentally bounces the basketball into the window. <laughs> and now the window has an X on it because McMurphy keeps on saying that he can look right through it and doesn't know that there's glass right. there. But this time it's almost like Scanlon was uh he didn't aim for it, but it's just funny how like the ball hit this X and like smashes oh. it through. The way you reiterated made it sound like you don't think McMurphy actually knows the glasses there i mean as best i can tell it's just honest mistakes did cole are you really gonna pretend like you never made an honest mistake in your whole life uh have i punched a few windows in my life maybe five too many um Um, (laughs) speaking of punching windows uh i'm currently like seven books ahead with the series here and uh the protagonist in the book I'm in the middle of right now also enjoys punching windows. I won't <laughs> say who it is, but, uh, you know. That's a little hint if you're a, a book man, yep. a book or woman. A little, uh, little book something person. for you. Yeah. That's foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, that's foreshadowing for you. Yep. <laughs> yep. We like our English here. I, I thought it was so funny. It's like... Nurse Ratchet puts this big X on there. She's like, oh, finally, he has no excuse. And then the ball hits it. Um, yep. But yeah. And so the ball gets punctured, and Martini. He goes up to the ball that's completely deflated and he brings it to Nurse Ratchet and he's like, 
well, can, can you do something about it, Nurse Ratched? Can you, can you patch it up? It looks like it's really hurt. <laughs> can you heal it? <laughs> uh, it's probably full of glass shards. It, yeah, and I think he also said that um, Nurse Ratched ignores him and like is just picking the glass shards off her uh, pressed uh, dress or uh, uniform. Yeah, probably. Uh, but yeah, Martini, once again, coming through. With the comedic relief. Good grief. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so McMurphy, he has a, ne- a really big idea. And this big idea is a fishing trip for the whole ward. And he wants to do this with his, quote, two sweet old aunts. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Which is so nice. I... Yeah, it's so sweet. Yeah. It's great that he gets along with his aunts. You got to get along with mm-hmm. your family. You uh, do. And so the pass is granted, but because once again, McMurphy's getting friendly with Dr. Spivey and Dr. Spivey's kind of, you know, pushing Nurse Ratched a bit. And Miss Ratched warns that the sea will be rough that weekend. And McMurphy responds by saying, oh, how brave the men will be fighting the sea, the big waves that will hit our boat. <laughs> Talking like a sailor for a long time. And he's like, mm, thank you. Wave. Thank you, Nurse Ratchet. That has convinced me to challenge the sea this weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah, just encouraging him. Yeah. And he's like, you know what, Nurse Ratchet? I'm going to rent that boat tonight. And she's, and he's like, you want me to sign you up? Do you want me to write down? I got the paper right here. <laughs> just like picking at her. And... Uh, she doesn't respond, and she starts to post clippings of newspapers that have the forecast of bad weather and shipwrecks that have been happening. <laughs> yeah, shipwreck articles. Uh, have you ever heard of the Titanic before? <laughs> yeah, there's just like a whole <laughs> section of the newspaper that is like, oh, we had another shipwreck today, boys. Uh, I, I don't know <laughs> what, what ships were Either doing. way. It's just like a real bummer, man. Yeah, yeah, it's a obituary for boats. Uh, yep. Wow. Um, very sad. In Davy Jones' locker, they be uh, better. Davy a better Jones' place. locker, they be. Yep. Hark, hark, hark. Hark, hark, hark. Uh, with the seagulls, yes, yes, yes. Um, yep. You don't want to kill seagulls because because dead sailors' souls are. Inside the seagulls. Very true, Lucas. You're um, well trained in the sailor lifestyle. Yep. I watched The Lighthouse two times in a week. Um, and I'm ready one of my s- favorite parts of that movie. What's that? I was just going to say, you're ready to set sail. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, one of the things Robert Pattinson's character calls Willem, Dafoe, uh, Willem Dafoe's character in the movie is a spinster school marm oh lord which is like supposed to be like a kind of a disciplinarian type of thing yeah he calls him a spinster school marm i just that movie is so full of good stuff and farts yep yeah a lot of farts farts, which is fun it's very fun yep (laughs) but yeah so chief he's watching this go down he fished as a kid so, of course, he's like, I want to go. But at the same time, he's like, 
I can't blow my cover, <laughs> like, because they're only speaking this. Um, and, he, and he's just seeing, he's just seeing like news cap- newspapers being posted. And he just can't be like, oh, what's going on here? Because he's he's deaf uh, or acts mm-hmm. like it. But yeah, so he recalls the first time he was completely ignored, and this happened multiple times when he would not be recognized when he was like a child and it happened when he's in the army and many other times in his life. And when he was a child or a teenager, he remembers three white people visiting the father's land. It was these same clerks that came by earlier. So once again, their intentions is to build a dam on this, on his father's land and they keep insulting the land and they're just like, oh, who would want to live here like in a tent like these people, even though they do have a house? It's because they don't think the child child version of Chief speaks English, which he does. And so Chief, he starts to yell at them, but they completely ignore him. And the woman in the group says that they should talk to the wife who is white and Chief's dad has taken her name. Bromden. Yep, yep, Chief Bromden. So. That's kind of funny too, actually. Something about bringing this up makes me realize that we never get a first name for Chief, do we? No. Uh, for his huh. father, we do. Uh, it will be his full, like, Native American name. But I don't think we ever do for Ooh. Chief that is in the ward. But hmm. so it's interesting because there's a power dynamic with Chief's dad and his his mother because she is white due to systemic racism. I, I think it would be systemic. I'm not sure there's multiple types, but since she is white, there is a power dynamic and Chief's dad did take her last name to kind of benefit himself and we'll see later on that this relationship is is skewed so the woman that reminds him of or the woman that mentioned this that said they gotta go to the wife first reminds him of nurse ratchet because she she knows exactly what to do in this situation how to manipulate the chief just like how nurse ratchet would and as in as they get into the car Chief wonders if he's like, huh, I wonder if they even saw me. Like, they didn't even acknowledge me or anything. And this is the first time in a while Chief can remember anything from his childhood. So, like, the fog is clearing. Yeah, it is clearing, and he's getting some of his memories back because he's been in electroshock therapy so many times that he's just lost a lot of his memory and personality and everything one day one of the aides they wake mcmurphy and and chief up because he finds chief's gum stash under his bed which is pretty big (laughs) yeah it's a lot of gum there's like hundreds of pieces of gum he's just like scraping it off so they both both awake to this sound and the aide is like really excited because he has no idea how chief chews all this gum all of the time because chief does not have any money but this just shows that chief 
keeps on reusing the gum and then he puts it under his uh, bed uh, <laughs> or in his pocket oh a little bit of that <laughs> you remember back when we were kids a little bit of that abc gum oh yes well let me tell you this man it sucked to be on the other side cleaning that actually no it was pretty cool so when i was a janitor in high school and if you guys didn't know i was a janitor back in the day one of my first jobs and you get this freeze spray and you so the only way to get gum off of, of a surface is to freeze it and then it makes it like uh, hard as a rock and then that way you can chip it off with a little scraper so yeah if you wanted to know how our heroes our janitors of the world get gum off of surfaces they freeze it yes Th- thank you uh Thank you for your service, janitor men and women of yes. the world. Um, custodial. Custo- custodial arts. You know, we call it custodial engineers. That's what we were. Uh, cool. It was a profession not to be taken lightly. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, he's just keeping... He's, like, scraping at this for, like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And McMurphy's getting pretty mad. Like, it's the, it's midnight. And <laughs> the aide, he says that the ward policy says that the ward must be clean 24-7. So, you know, just this gum. It can't wait until morning. And once the aide leaves, McMurphy starts singing... Uh, this song, which I didn't know it was a song, but looked it up on YouTube, and it's called Does Your oh. Chewing Gum Lose Its Flavor on the Bedpost Overnight? Wow. And it's kind, of, it's kind of a fun song. It's kind of fun. Very specific. Yeah. And at first, when McMurphy's like kind of teasing Chief about his gum, he gets kind of mad, but then once he starts singing, Chief just tries really hard not to laugh. But gives in, and McMurphy gives him a piece of juicy fruit, and Chief says thank you. Aww. So it was like a really nice scene here. I really enjoyed this. Um, that is nice. You know, Chief saying his first words and uh, getting this piece of gum, something that I love so much. Mm-hmm. It's pretty awesome. I get it. Juicy fruit is about uh, the best three minutes of your life whenever you get a fresh stick of that stuff. Yeah. Yep. It's my natural high, man. You need to get that and then three minutes. It just loses all its flavor. Yep. And then I'm just not the same. Yep. I need my juicy. You're not the same when you don't have your juicy fruit. You're not yep. the same person when you. You're not you when you. Uh, you're not. Dang it. Uh, it sounds like you're trying to talk about the Snickers <laughs> yeah, thing. I don't know how to put it. You're not yourself when you're hungry. You're not yourself when you're not chewing gum. How about that? <laughs> sure. Yeah, there we go. You know what? Why not? Yes, yes. Chief is the same way. He's not himself. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he Chief, he once again starts to talk about his background and says that his father's name was T.A. Milatuna. Which I don't know which thousand or which one of the thousands of languages Native Americans use, but it means the pine that stands tallest on the mountain. Nice. Pretty cool. Um, I'm sure Chief himself has a name similar to that, but I just just don't know. Um, 
And he explains that he was a big man, but eventually all of the town made him a small man. Not in terms of like physical size, but, you know, just his his spirit. And because eventually he was forced to sell the land and his wife, like I was saying earlier, there's that power dynamic and his she played a big role in this because the government workers really influenced her and like hung checks in front of her and all this stuff. So his father became a small drunk man and his tribe just didn't know what to do. Similar to how like the patients felt initially. Uh, They might have felt lost when McMurphy, you know, just gave up. It'd be the same situation here. And right. He warns that the same thing will happen to McMurphy, but McMurphy doesn't quite understand. So Chief, he's he's talking to McMurphy this whole time, and he's like telling McMurphy, like, this is going to happen to you. And he, he starts r- ranting about the combine machine. He's like, there's wires everywhere, McMurphy. There's uh, and, and this is like the first words that he's saying. And he's like, yeah, there's uh, in the politicians and in the church, it's everywhere. The combine controls it. And then McMurphy's like, whoa, 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 buddy, calm down, calm down. And eventually he asks if Chief wants to go on the fishing trip. And Chief reminds him that he's broke, but McMurphy says he will pay for his trip. But in order to do this, he has to do McMurphy's special fitness program so he can lift the control unit. The Yes, the one that McMurphy uh, tried his best to lift to impress the whole ward. And he may not have moved it, but uh, he tried, goddammit, I think was the quote. Yep, exactly. That much I did. Just, just his effort that went into it was enough to gain the respect of most of the people in the ward. Oh, yeah. Yep, so he's like, yeah, Chief, you can go, but you got to do my P90X program. Uh, Rex Gondo. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> he's going to get Chief a big man again. And so McMurphy starts to hype him up, and he's like, he's like, yeah, the men are going to be terrified of you, and the, the girls are going to fall in love with him. And then he notices that Chief has an erection and he says, quote, Chief, you growed half a foot already. A classic part in the book. Classic. Uh, it's written out a little more vividly hey. where McMurphy where McMurphy says, just picture all the big, beautiful, blonde ladies that are going to be wrapping their long legs around your whole being and then he uh he rips the blanket off him and that's when he says to chief <laughs> you know you growed half a foot already <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly if it wasn't explicit just like chief um speaking about how his dad you know shrunk after the government sapped the life out of him chief also is a very uh maybe spiritually small man at this point in the book or however you might want to refer to that. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. It's all good fun. Yep. And the way, uh, Kesey wrote this where he used the erection to show that, um, chief has come back to 
being a big man was just poetry, really. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you think that that's what we're supposed to take away from that? Yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. You know what? I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. I'll take it. Yep. Um, but, yeah, exactly. Like, he's McMurphy, he's his number one hype man. His number one fan, oh, yeah. really. He really wants him to lift this control unit to break them free. But... So McMurphy, he awakes the next day and he starts to yell at the patient, at the patients. And he's saying, quote, hit the decks, mateys, drop your cocks and grab your socks. Be like big old chief here and get up early to catch those big red worms. Uh, you know, he's, he's ready to go. And, oh, yeah, you know, it, it, you got to get your worms early in the morning because that's. That's when the worms pop out because there's too much moisture in the ground. And yep, Chief, he, he's he's ready to get those worms. And McMurphy, he needs one more volunteer. And so he starts talking to quote Rub a Dub George, who is a Swedish man obsessed with being clean. Uh, <laughs> I like George. <laughs> George is pretty cool. He's the captain now. Um, yep. But so Rub-A-Dub George, he's he's giving McMurphy advice and he says, quote, Oh, I heard you talking about red worms. Herring you need. You jig some herring for bait, then you have some good fortune. I hope that's a good Swedish accent, but... Uh, it's fine, I think. Oh, uh, thank you, thank you. But right off the bat, of course. he's like, I know everything about fishing. And then oh, yeah. McMurphy, he starts to hype him up too. He's like, "Well, rub a dub, George. I didn't, I didn't know you're a fisherman." Uh, and then, yeah, he convinces him to go along. But he he does hate the all, all the dirty stuff, like the boats and stuff. But he does convince him, and he calls him Captain George, and he actually writes it on the board. He's he puts down Captain George. Oh yeah. So one of the, and, and like we were mentioning earlier, he wanted to get his uh, two aunts to come on the fishing trip, but it happened to be two prostitutes, one of them being... What? <laughs> uh, oh. If Candy Star didn't oh. uh, give it away, I don't know what would. Uh, you know what? <laughs> now that you say it out loud... Candy Star is more of a prostitute name than a mom name. Well, or an aunt name. I mean, well, sorry. actually, I do want to uh, want to apologize to my aunt Candy. Uh, Shut up. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't have an aunt Candy. <laughs> that would be very aunt insulting. Candy Star. Yep. <laughs> um. But yeah, so only one of them shows up and he's expecting two so they can have two vehicles. And so McMurphy, he's just like, well, how are we going to get 10 people into one Ford truck? Um, and, and she enters the ward and all of the patients are amazed by her because she is very pretty. And Martini being the gentleman he, he is, he says, quote, uh, you can't. You can see the dates of the coins on her back pockets. So he's he's checking Very out nice. her butt. Very observantly. And that's how tight those jeans are. <laughs> you can see the date on those coins. You dirty dog, uh, Martini. Martini. 
quit looking at the dates of the coins. Come on now. Uh, well, I mean, to be fair, he probably actually can see the dates on the coins in her back pocket. He sees everything, and he's like, oh, that one's from 1853. Oh, you got a collector's coin in there. Uh, yep. Yeah, so Nurse Ratched, she she just starts ranting. She says, uh, trip's canceled. You don't have enough people. But McMurphy, he just straight up ignores her. And he starts talking about the wonders of fishing to Dr. Spivey. He's like, oh, you should see the trout flash in the sun when they jump out of the water. The cool breeze from the lake or ocean. And uh, But the number one that the number one thing that convinces him to go is this prostitute prostitute that's uh (laughs) so beautiful and he's like ah i'm in (laughs) and he agrees to drive yeah he's weighing his options he's like do i really believe that a fishing trip for all these patients will really reinvigorate them perhaps uh get them to reignite a spark that they had in their past lives before being here or do I just think that this this candy girl is a real babe? She's a real looker, <laughs> but it's also going to help with the patients. But she is really pretty. <laughs> Double whammy. Yeah, I don't have to look at Nurse Ratchet all day. <laughs> yeah, that'd probably be a nice change of pace. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, and he's bringing in his own car, which is pretty crazy to drive all of them. And so, yeah, they leave. They reach a gas station where the attendants are rude to them and they're having trouble getting service. And McMurphy, he eventually tells them that they are the most insane people from the, the asylum, saying some guys are knife artists and <laughs> chief way back then. He, ch- he killed six white men over a trade dispute involving a muskrat hide. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Over muskrat hides. That is uh, a pretty valuable item. Uh, Cream of the crop. Cream of the crop, yep. During this, like, once McMurphy is, like, talking about how crazy they are, the attendants aren't, like, being as rude. They're kind of scared and actually giving them service now. And so Billy, he's absorbing this, and he's like, hey, sir, you missed a bug here on the windshield, and... You know, just bossing this guy around that was being an ass to them earlier. Yeah, it's just an interesting scene because this is the first time that they were outside of the ward and they get to see how average people view them. And it kind of reminds me of how, like, segregated America would be, too. Like, it's just, like, on that level, you know. It's almost as if they're going to a white-only uh, gas station or service or something like they got that much discrimination. So during the scene, like McMurphy's like, oh, you got to turn your, your, you know, insanity, but it's not even really insanity into a superpower. And, you know, it makes the guys feel really good. And uh, as they continue on the road, chief is amazed how the combine has shaped the world. And he describes that the houses are, you know, the thousand, thousands of houses are all identical, made by the same machine, which he's not wrong, like, especially when you get into the suburbs. And P- 
people are just wearing the same things and people are going to the same schools, wearing the same uniform uniforms to schools, all that stuff. He's seeing that as they make their drive across the countryside. He's seeing the whole machine take place outside of the ward. And mm. so they eventually reach the docks and the captain of the ship they're supposed to take, he says they don't have an improved waiver. Bummer. Uh, turn the car around, going back to Nurse Ratched. Uh, <laughs> but we got McMurphy, and McMurphy's not going down without a fight. So he says he'll go make a phone call, and he takes the captain with him to like the boathouse. And as they stand there, the patient's confidence is pretty diminished because the crew that's supposed to take him out on the boat they start laughing at them and they're, they're like making jokes and they're starting to like make sexual like comments about candy. And she's like looking at all the patients because they're riding that high from earlier and they're acting tough. And now they're just like feel defenseless. Um, Right. But eventually McMurphy comes down the dock and he says, quote, pilot in the crew, gassed and ready, old captain's on the phone, so we don't have much time. And uh, mm-hmm. so he, uh, the patients, they start to get on board and the doctor says, well, well, maybe they should wait. Maybe we should, we should wait here. You know, we don't have the captain yet. This isn't safe. And then McMurphy lifts him up, quote, like a little boy and says, quote wait and find out that number i gave him is a flop house up in portland i don't think so (laughs) so he just yanks uh the doctor up there like a limp weight or something (laughs) that was uh one of my favorite going hand in hand with um mcmurphy you know dropping his towel and having the shorts under there i love the image of the doctor's like, well, I'm not sure about this, Mr. McMurphy. And then, yeah, like grabbing him by the lapels of his coat and just pulling him over the side. Like, well, you don't have a choice now. Let's yeah. go. It was like the equivalent of like pulling in like a life jacket or something. He was so light. <laughs> yep. Just a little child. And McMurphy's already this bull of a man. So big man. Yep. Yep. Tractor of a man. Um, yep. So the boat starts up and leaves as the crew is just like charging down the dock. They're like, what the hell? And as they get out into the water, McMurphy says that he and Candy have to check for leaks in the cabin. Uh, this whole separate unit where, you know, it's not it's not on deck. Uh, <laughs> That's kind of weird that... I wonder, like, if McMurphy's, like, certified in checking boats for leaks and stuff like that, or... Or maybe <laughs> maybe they're going to have... Uh, maybe it's a metaphor for something else that, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're going to hold hands. They could do that. Uh, maybe. Oh, you think that's what they're getting at with that? Oh, wow. Yep. Oh, well, that is not what I signed up for reading this book, <laughs> Yeah, buddy this boy. is a bit... Too, th- <laughs> now, there's a lot of Ooh. stuff I could stand in this book, but when it got to this part, I had to, you know, I had to close and get the spark notes uh, ending. Too much. It's yeah, too much. Yeah abstinence is key my listeners um yep 
Been doing it for 23 years. Haven't looked back. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is so weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. I really am. It's been a... I've worked all weekend and I just got to get something out. I don't know. (laughs) Hey. Hey, I get it. I'm right there with you, pal. Yeah. Yep, it's 2020. I'm tired, man. The news just keeps getting worse, and uh, I'm tired. Yep, I think we're all tired. <laughs> uh, <sighs> all right, all right. Okay, they get out of the water, and the men they start to fish, and <laughs> so they're all fishing. And Martini, I don't think he's capable of fishing because he's looking out of the water, and he sees something like way down down below and it's huge in his eyes and he's just saying oh oh my god oh my god like the whole boat ride <laughs> like he thinks he's seeing Loch Ness still, monster <laughs> yeah that's still really creepy yeah yeah it is but it was kind of funny yeah uh, and I just seen a big shadow under the boat and I do want to I do want to plug in uh went on the Loch Ness um did not see Nessie when I went to Scotland uh, you went to Scotland? Yeah, that's where I was last week. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, since we didn't get it out of the way in the beginning of the show, did you want to give us your your quick rundown of your trip? Did you... Oh, is that where you had that big breakfast? Yeah, that's where I had the haggis, black mm. pudding. Um, mm. Yeah, Scotland's very cool. Very kind. Probably the nicest people I've met so far. Uh, lovely yeah they're lovely people uh edinburgh that was the coolest city i've been to so far is like diagon alley um were you uh were you networking the podcast hey listen to my podcast hey listen to my podcast hey listen um, to my podcast i should have i re- well actually yes one of one of the guys oh. that i went on a bus trip with uh uh, I got to talking to him because we we're both solo traveling, and yeah, cool. He, he said he'd check it out. He's from Very London, nice. so hopefully we'll have our first UK listener here soon. <laughs> That'd be cool. The first of a dozen. <laughs> sure. Yeah, but yeah, it's a good trip. It's very fun. Glad to hear it. I'd recommend it. I'd recommend it for sure. Back back to the story. So Seafelt, he gets the first catch and they tell him to keep the rod tip up. And he asks if, well, what, so this whole time he's reeling it in and he's like, well, what if I have a seizure? And, you know, it's a legit concern. And Harding replies, quote, we'll put you on the hook and use you as bait if you have a seizure. <laughs> Which is just kind of messed up. But, it, you know, you can see some of these guys are getting their humor back. Um Yep. As messed up as it may be. So Chief, he gets a hit on his line. Like a fish is tugging on it and he doesn't notice. And he's holding the line with his thumb and his thumb is bleeding uh, because he didn't set the drag. And he pulls in a huge fish as McMurphy watches. And McMurphy's just kind of like, that's my man. Like that's my trainee right there. He's he's doing well in this workout program, but he really is proud of him because you know for Chief to be doing something like this is pretty sweet. Yeah, and so Chief 
gives candy the pull and one of the rules on the boat was that everybody gets to fish at least once so they're passing around the pole and chief gives candy the pole and she hooks him <laughs> three times as he's trying to put bait on it <laughs> so <laughs> like like she keeps on getting the hook in his thumb or whatever but he has patience and he's like ah oh, just give it just give me it <laughs> but uh, eventually some of the lines get crossed, uh, candy, you know, it's just like a huge mess, like fishing lines when they get crossed, that is pretty frustrating. And candy, she's struggling with her catch. And while she's doing this, uh, her boobs pop out and <laughs> this causes captain rub-a-dub George to look at her and he crashes into a log and this kills the engine. Uh-oh. So a lot of humorous things going down. Like, yes, it sucks, but this is pretty funny. And McMurphy, he starts to laugh, and it's like carrying across the water, the water, and this causes everybody else to laugh. Yeah, it takes quite a bit to freak McMurphy out. Yeah, yep. Like, he's just, at this point, everything's a joke. You know, kind of like the Joker, I guess, you know. Yeah, no point in getting worked up about it, apparently. Yeah, but, you know, this is the first time all of them have laughed cohesively in a very long time. And it's a big relief. And they legit had a lot of fun. Um, And it's all because of McMurphy. Like, he, he did do this trip. And I genuinely do feel like he did it for the well-being of them. Uh Cool. And so they start to return and the waves are choppy and there aren't enough life jackets. So one thing that Chief notices is that McMurphy is wearing one, which is kind of not with his, you know, his cowboy attitude. Devil may care. Yeah. You know, yeah, that kind of well, comparison. Yeah, that's all it is, devil may care. Yeah. Yep. Yep, exactly. So it's kind of out of character for him. And they reach the shore and the cops are there. But Dr. Spivey starts chewing the captain now because he says that there wasn't enough life jackets because they they did steal the boat. And then the cops (laughs) are just kind of like, this really isn't worth our time. And they just leave. So the crew that was making fun of them earlier is pretty amazed by the catches they all got. And the patients, they're just not the same people they were when they departed earlier. Like, they're confident, they're having fun, they have these huge fish that they just caught, and they get drinks with the crew before they leave, which was interesting. Yeah, that's uh, another good part in the book. McMurphy and the captain are about ready to duke it out, and then they they leave... uh, the building they step into and head back down for the dock and they they're both drinking a beer with uh you know they're they're being all chummy and stuff like that yeah yep it's like i don't know it's like getting drinks with your high school bully like it's just kind of a weird concept but you know they they just got along at the end i guess not saying i had a specific bully in high school i don't think i did but well, me and you have had our fair share of beers together. All right. Yeah, well, some people <laughs> might make a podcast together once they are uh, make amends, I guess, you know. 
once they're done being lifelong enemies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, life's weird. Um. <laughs> you know what? Life is weird. Life is very weird, especially this year. Um, yep. They all get back into their cars, uh, and McMurphy decides to take a route to his old house he grew up in. And he sees a rag in a tree branch and he tells the guys that it was from his first time having sex when he was very young i really don't want to say what age he was because it was like really like it's kind of unbelievable okay yeah, he was 10 he was 10 he says he was 10 uh <laughs> and the girl was 10 but you know it's mcmurphy it is he's he's t- he's telling tall tales left and right and he said she told him to keep her dress, but he threw it out the window and it got caught in the tree. And he says something along the lines of like, that that was the first girl that wrecked me and like maybe the man who I am today or something like that. Like the womanizer I am. Mm. And he goes on to tell more stories to entertain the guys, but Chief can see in his face. And he says, he explains his face as, quote, dreadfully tired and strained and frantic like there is not enough time left for something he had to do end quote that's where part three ends and one thing that was really interesting about him noticing the life jacket the paint on his face as he's trying to entertain this guy is that just like almost every other story we've covered so far mcmurphy is going to be a christ-like figure and he is taking up all this burden that the ward is feeling and we can just already tell there's been lots of foreshadowing that's not going to end well for him and one thing that was interesting is that there were 12 people on the boat and it's it was almost as if like mcmurphy had his 12 apostles and taking them fishing just like in the bible where he says he's gonna make fishers of men basically and yeah it's the same thing here and we're starting to see that this is taking a huge toll on him but eventually maybe it'll pay off maybe one will sweep down and take you out of the nest set you to freedom who knows you guys will just have to Tune in to the final part, which is part four, coming next week. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Another book that we're almost done with. Yeah, um, that's actually kind of funny because I'm not sure if you were aware of this, but I was just at work earlier this week and I realized that we've been doing a podcast for like months now. <laughs> this is going to be episode 14, I think. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a lot of episodes. That's a lot of episodes. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of dedication, blood, sweat, tears, um, but a lot of fun, let me tell you. I, I've i been having a good time with it. Reading's good for you, too. Reading is. I think, I can't remember the last year I've read this many books, but I, I've been I agree. loving getting back into reading. And it, This has actually, without a doubt, been, like this year, I've probably read more books than I have, you know any other year combined yes i would say a couple years for me 
because there was a period there where I was just stuck on Feast for Crows for a year or two. And I, I don't think I really read much else. Yeah, that's uh, part two and three. I the, these were some of the my my favorite scenes like um just seeing McMurphy come back from the ashes and you know even though he knows he's going to be screwed at the end of this like he knows his fate's not going to be good because he knows once he gets back Nurse Ratchet is going to be not too happy about this um and we'll see that he's going to push it even further yeah he may still have a a trick or two up his sleeve. as uh as billy mays would say i'm not stopping there yeah, that's mcmurphy is that right what now. he would always say yeah yeah and his infomercials he would or just commercials he would always be like and i'm not stopping there it's nine in 1999 for two whatever products he was selling oxy sure. oxy clean buy one get one free maybe yeah yep Yep, exactly. So, but with that, uh, did you have any other final thoughts on what must be in uh, the top three longest episodes of our show so far? I would say not at the moment. No, no, I just cool. Yeah, I just really enjoyed well this book. Really, the more the more I dived into this and like started doing the outline and doing my research, I was like. This is fun. This is this is yeah, a this, good book. This is a good book. Yeah, and I'm oh yeah, big time. I'll have to rewatch the movie uh, for next week's episode, and because I, I do remember enjoying that as well. And yeah, I don't know. It's just I, I like the multiple themes in here of like McMurphy being this Christ-like figure and carrying the burden for all these guys, and even to like Chief being invisible. And, of course, the most obvious one is just, like, how society can make us all squares. And how we just got to fight that, I guess. Yeah, and we'll explore that further in next week's episode as well. So, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh, And while you're staying tuned, follow us on Instagram at the Bad Apple Book Club. You know, we post stuff. Yeah, we do. It's an Instagram account. We post to our stories every once in a while, too. Wrapping up part two and three. <laughs> uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> it's been a long episode. It's hard to talk for two hours, guys. Uh, yeah, it, honestly, it really is. Like, I just got out of bed right before, uh, right before we started recording, and that's what I've been doing lately too. But just feels kind of different today. I think I need to go and get myself a nice pumpkin latte from starbucks from caribou Ooh, okay i wish i could try that one the one from starbucks was boo-boo that was not good seriously i I did not like that oh no 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 Mm. but yeah it is pumpkin season spooky season mm -hmm. uh yeah hey it's it's pumpkin season and um you know not only uh, are the drinks pumpkin flavored, but the book we're covering in the second half of October is even going to be a little pumpkin flavored. Yes. Yep. Yep. It's very spooky. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And we'll announce that next week once uh, once we get there. So. Yep. 
come back for part four of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and then, you know, if you've been listening up to this point, you probably, you're probably smart enough to understand how the show's going, even if Cole and I may not be. Um, <laughs> well, the smartest. But hosts. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, I'm just, I'm sick of talking. Um, everyone, have a nice day. Take it easy. Trouble with that podcast, you call me. Of course. You know, oh, yeah. I can always do nothing with it. <laughs>